Mm. Father God, that's our prayer. Father, it's a corporate prayer. We sing it together. But Lord, we're also praying together for Your Holy Spirit to come and to overwhelm us. We pray, Lord, that's not just a time when we gather. We pray that's a daily thing that Your Spirit overwhelms and guides us and directs us. Lord, it's for Your glory. Right now, Lord, I want to pray specifically that Your Spirit would do a work through this message. That Your Spirit would deliver this message to each and every heart and mind that's here today. And Lord, I pray it often because I believe it often. I believe it to be true, Lord, is that we're not here by accident. You have drawn us to this place. And everybody who's here today, Lord, is here on purpose because you have brought us here today to hear from you. So, Lord God, I ask that you open our ears and our mind and our hearts to hear and to receive and to put into practice what we hear today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Glad to have everybody here with us this morning. I want to encourage you to use your connection card that is in the bulletin and uh, put that in the offering basket when the offering is received a little bit later today. During the Civil War, it was estimated that one-third of U.S. currency in circulation was counterfeit. Could you imagine? There were approximately 1,600 state banks designing and printing their own notes. Now, we would think that is absolutely absurd and crazy to think 1,600 banks making their own money. Each note carried a different design, making it very difficult to distinguish the 4,000 varieties of counterfeits from the 7,000 varieties of genuine notes. It was a crazy time in our history. In 1863, then, a national currency was adopted. It was soon counterfeited, though, so extensively that the government had to take some enforcement measures and go, we got to stop this somehow. So on July 5 of 1865, the United States Secret Service was established to identify and suppress counterfeiting. And instead of focusing in their strategy on identifying the unique characteristics of each variety of counterfeit bills or currency, the Secret Service just emphasized in their training to know the distinctive traits of the genuine currency. Their idea was know the paperweight, know what it looks like, know what the color is supposed to be. They said if they know this, this is the most effective identity, a counterfeit, to, to know what was counterfeit what was not by knowing what was real and what was authentic. And they figured if we know what's authentic, we will know what's unreal. Several years ago when we were building this church building, getting ready to, we went out to Ogden, Utah, which is just a short, lake, short distance from Salt Lake City, Utah, the home there of Mormonism, and there are several church plants that are popping up in that area. And talked to a couple of church planters, and I said, oh my goodness, I couldn't imagine planting a church in this area. How, how do you do that? Because do you need to study their faith and what they teach, and then know our faith, and have to be able to combat all that, so that when you're sitting in discussions, you meet people in a coffee house that you can explain, or you're trying to launch a church, and then all of a sudden they bring all that teaching into the Christian church. How do you do that? And they said, it's really not that hard, Brian. I said, what do you mean it's not that hard? They said, just know the Word and know who Jesus is, and you'll know what's false. Oh man, that is so 
true today. Let me ask you something this morning. Do you know what a counterfeit faith looks like? Are you aware of what's real and what's not real? What's of Jesus and what's not of Jesus? See, our life should be a a life of joy and and contentment and experiencing the transforming power of Jesus. But when we buy into a counterfeit faith, our joy is squashed. Our contentment is taken away. One of the exciting parts of of being being in Jesus is experiencing His transformation of creating us into the image of His Son, the one who we love and the one who we serve. It's an exciting time. And each day belonging to Jesus can be, and I believe it should be, an adventure. But there's all these counterfeits that are thrown our way. See, in the Colossian church, that was the problem. We've been studying the book of Colossians the last several weeks. There's a group of false teachers who were coming into the church to try to steal the freedom and the joy and the transformation that people would normally experience when they walked in Christ. They were offering, quote-unquote, a counterfeit face, so to speak, by trying to make people adopt things that really have nothing to do with growing in a relationship with Christ. You ever had one of those days where you wake up in the morning and you think, man, I'm going to spend time with God, and you started off right, and you're in the Word, and maybe have some time worshiping and spending some time in prayer, and you're like, man, I am ready to go. I am filled with joy. I'm filled with God. And then you leave your bedroom, or you go downstairs and run the rest of your family, or, or, or you go to work, and there's a joy stealer there. There's a Debbie Downer, so to speak. You're like, man, I was... I'm ready to live in Jesus and it's, it is zapped and it's, it's taken away because of negative people around me or stressful people around me. And that can happen. It's kind of what they were dealing with. They were dealing with some struggles of people that were outside the church saying, you need to believe this and do this and do that. And they were dealing with people inside the church who were saying, no, we got to believe this and believe this and do this and do that. And so it stole their joy because they didn't understand what a counterfeit faith was. They didn't understand, okay, in Jesus, this is what my life looks like, and this is what it should be, and all this other stuff has nothing to do with Jesus. And so what Paul addresses today is all this other stuff that was being thrown at them. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at today. Be reminded, though, Paul launches out this full-on assert, this full-on attack against the false teachers. In verses 8 through 10, Paul covered worldly philosophies, which we talked about a few weeks ago, and the damage that these philosophies can do if one's faith is adhered to it. And so he said, stay away from those worldly philosophies. And then verses 11 through 15, the sufficiency of Jesus is dealt with, reminding us that in Christ, we have absolutely everything, and we don't need anything else. Then in the text today, we're going to see that Paul deals with issues of legalism, deals with issues of subjective experiences, of self-denial. These are all under attack by Paul. He's blowing up the counterfeit teaching that's creeping into the Colossian church. And when we get caught in any of these issues, then what happens is we start to lose our joy, lose our contentment. We start to not experience transformation anymore because we buy into the counterfeits. When we substitute Jesus for legalism, or, or, or we substitute legalism for Jesus, or we substitute a subjective experience for Jesus, or we substitute a behavior modification, then our transformation is in jeopardy. Let's look at verse 16 and 17 as we begin this morning, just learning three truths to identify counterfeit faith. Verse 16, therefore do not, belong, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, 
or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Here's truth number one out of that text. Jesus was the focus of the law. See, the church was struggling in part because there were people trying to get them to revert to their former way of life, which comes from Judaism, which comes from Old Testament law. Right after, right after we're told of the, all the blessings because of being in Jesus, Paul reminds the readers, he's reminding them, and I think it reaches out to us, reminding us in the year 2017, to not let anyone act on, on, our, act on our behalf as our judge concerning following what they think we ought to do in order to live out our faith. Because that's what they're doing. People are putting stipulations on people. You've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do this if you're really going to live out your faith. In a sense, the principle being conveyed here is, is do not sacrifice your freedom in Christ for a set of man-made rules. And I think you would agree that we've done a pretty good job in our American culture of creating some man-made rules that if you're a Christian, you will do or you will behave and we fill in the blanks. See, the issue of legalism can stop our transformation process because we trade our freedom in Christ for man-made religious activity. Romans 10, Paul said, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I mean, that's an important verse. See, all the items in verse 16 refer to aspects of the Old Testament law, and the law is not the standard by which we are judged today. That should be a big amen. Because if we're judged by the law, we're all destined for eternity without Jesus. See, the law was fulfilled in Christ as it was nailed to the cross. Galatians 5 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The Galatian writer there is saying, the law is like a yoke wrapped around your neck as you're entrapped in slavery. He says, don't partake in that. You've been set free of that because of Christ, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. See, many of the Jews of the day, and even today, I think, find comfort in legalism. This is why the Ten Commandments grew to over 600 commandments in the Old Testament. Because they wanted legalistic rituals. They want to know what are all the rules. And we understand rules because you have to have rules to have a, a society or a community that function together. There have to be some guidelines. But to bring this to today's world, we may not struggle with being told to go back to the Old Testament, to Old Testament law. However, many people think they're good with God because they somewhat follow what they consider to be the most important of the Ten Commandments. Well, I broke a few of them, but the good way, you know, I haven't murdered anybody. You know, I, I keep most of them, and if, as long as I keep most of them, hopefully God sees that and God says, yeah, Brian, you're pretty good. Why is being legalistic fruitless? Look again at verse 17. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, rule-keeping is just a shadow. There's no real spiritual substance to making rule-keeping the center of your faith. A shadow has no reality. The reality is the item or the person that creates the shadow. And Jesus Christ's reality to which the shadows pointed. The law was pointing towards Christ, pointing towards a Savior, pointing to someone who would rescue us from all of our sins. We should do what we do, not to keep a law, but we should do what we do in our life because we love Jesus. And Jesus needs to be our focus. Why, why did you get up and come here today? Did you get up and come here today because... Well, this is what my family does. We do this every Sunday, and we go, we go to church. Did you get up and come here today 
Because, well, God will see me there and hopefully he marks that one on my good list. Did did you get up and come today? Well, because if I'm not there, Brian's going to notice and uh, I don't want him calling me. Or did you get up and come today because, you know, I just love Jesus. And i got to be around my Christian friends who love Jesus. And I want to hear His Word because I want to grow because I love Jesus. Why do you go to a growth group? I mean, we make a big push around here about being in a growth group, in a small group. We say, man, that's highly important in your walk. And I truly believe that. But do you do that? Because i got to make sure other people say I go to a growth group. Do you go to a growth group? Because, oh, God, there's another one. God, did you see me? I was there Tuesday night. God, the day was terrible. I didn't want to go, but God, I got up and went. Did you go to growth group because I love Jesus and I just want to be around some other Christian friends who love Jesus and it just helps me to keep loving Jesus why do you give an offering I hope you've come prepared today to give an offering but do you give an offering you know if we don't give the offering you know the lights will get turned off if, if I don't give an offering you know then someone's going to call me on the carpet on that uh, if I don't give an offering, I mean, you fill in a blank. Do you give an offering? God, I hope you see me. God, you see this one? This week, God, it's a big build. God, you see it? Catch it? Okay, I'm moving in the basket. Why do you give your offering? The only reason why you should give offering is because you love Jesus so much, you say, God, I want your kingdom to keep coming on earth, and I'm going to help give towards the cause. See, being legalistic is fruitless. We need to do everything we do because we love Jesus. Jesus was the focus of the law, and this is why Jesus fulfilled the law. All messianic prophecies, all the messianic prophecies were about Him. And Galatians 3 says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The law was our guardian, or guardrails pointing us in the right direction, but Jesus is now our model and our example that we look to. John MacArthur Jr. in his commentary on Colossians states the following truth. He says, legalism is useless because it cannot restrain the flesh. It is also dangerously deceptive because inwardly rebellious and disobedient Christians or even non-Christians can conform to a set of external performance standards or rituals. And you and I know that's true. Just put a list before yourself and you can say, I will keep that list or I will not keep that list. Put a list of rules before a classroom and they can decide. Kids will decide, I'm going to keep the rules, I'm not going to keep the rules. Put some rules before your children. Your children will decide, I'm going to keep the rules or I'm not going to keep the rules. What was the issue Paul was getting to? What's going on in your heart? What's going on in the inside? Mark 7, Jesus deals with the heart of the issue when he says, says these words. He says, all of you, listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not that what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. See, Jesus has to be our substance if we want to experience joy, if we want to experience contentment, if we want to experience transformation. It must be about Jesus. See, real transformation does not happen merely by keeping external rules. It happens when we have an inner personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul was nailing this to the wall. Like, don't put up with these counterfeit ideas. Look with me at verses 18 and 19. It leads us to our second truth. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows 
as God causes it to grow. Here's our second truth. A focus on subjective experience will keep us from transforming. See, Paul continues by pleading us not to allow our freedom to be taken captive by asceticism, which is the issue of self-denial or by focusing on subjective experiences. The focus of this boils down to mysticism, which is defined as a pursuit of a deeper or highest subjective religious experience. Some were trying to convince others in this time that they were missing something in their faith because they were not experiencing visions. Because they were not worshiping angels. If others around you are telling you that you're missing something and they are not relying to you these awesome sound experiences, it could make you feel like you've been cheated. And it happens in our church culture today. See, the problem with subjective experience is that you have nothing concrete to base your experience on. Say, so, well, what does that look like? You have some in Christianity who say, oh, do you speak in tongues? No, I don't speak in tongues. Oh, Oh, you don't speak in tongues. Maybe you're not really saved. If you've never had that conversation, it may come one day. I've had it more than once. Oh, oh, you don't raise your hands in worship. I don't think you really love Jesus that much. You don't raise your hand in worship. You, you can't be that good of a Christian. Oh, that, that, that retreat that I went on was so good. I wish every single Sunday was like that. Because it was such a great experience. Or you come into worship today and you think, man, I just really hope I feel God. He's here, trust me, whether you feel it or not. But sometimes that's what we think. We think, I got I to feel. And I walk out the doors and I make a judgment on, man, I really felt God was there today. Or I felt he wasn't. A subjective experience. Oh, did I get tingles in my, in my arms and up my neck? I mean, we've all had those. Is there something wrong with those? No. No, not wrong with them. What's wrong is we elevate them to the point to say, you got to have this in order to know that you're in Christ or that you're growing in Christ. Have these kind of experiences. See, it's kind of like dreaming that you're falling. You ever had an experience where you're in a dream and you feel like I'm falling? Or even just sitting in a chair. You ever just been sitting there in your daydream and you're like, oh, I'm falling. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not falling. I'm not. I'm okay. You ever had that? Am I the only one? <laughs> I'm the only one, huh? You guys have never had that experience thinking you're dreaming and you're falling and also you catch yourself? Okay, so a few of you are nodding your heads. There's a few of us who are crazy in this room. So you have that experience and you go and tell somebody, it's like, no, that was my experience, not your experience. The only thing I know is I didn't fall because I'm laying in bed still or I'm still sitting in a chair. See, in Christ, we have all we need. We don't need a subjective experience to complete who we are in Christ. Paul's trying to say, warn him about that. He's like, be aware of people who come and tell you, if you haven't done this, if you haven't experienced that, if you don't have these experiences, maybe your walk with Christ is not very good. Maybe you're not in him. See, when we continue to seek a high of a subjective experience, we will stop seeking Jesus, and then our transformation will stop, and we'll just be looking from one high to another high to another high to another high. And it's impossible living life on mountaintop experiences all the time. Impossible. You ever heard of adrenaline junkies? I know of Christians who are always looking for spiritual highs, a subjective experience. The, there, there's a whole churches who create a focus to create subjective experiences for you. And Paul's warning against this. To know who you are in Christ. You are saved by grace through faith. When you put your, your confession, your repentance, and you follow in baptism, and Paul talks about you're in Christ. The self-denial was done as it generated a, a false of sense pride. It was done to show others 
how holy a person I am. Well, look at me. I do this. Do you do that? Oh, I've got this. Do you have it? No, that means me. I'm greater than you. See, there's a tendency in human nature to move from objectivity to subjectivity to shift the focus from Christ to experience. This is always uh, intimidated people. No matter where you're at in your faith, to go, well, they have that. Why don't I have that? They've experienced that. Why haven't I experienced that? And it can be damaging to people in the church. Our text reminds us that when we take our focus off of Jesus, we will hurt our growth and possibly the growth of others. Look at verse 19. It spells it out for us. It says, They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. See, when we get puffed up with our wisdom, when we start to make our own ways to serve God, we lose touch with Jesus, who is the head from which the whole body is nourished. And Paul's warning, when you get in touch with all the stuff you think it's accomplishing, you get disconnected from the head. What happens? Our transformation stops. We'll all be striving to be transformed by stuff instead of being transformed by Jesus Christ. Which leads us to our third truth that we find in verse 20. Since you died with Christ in the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Here's truth three. A focus on outward actions will keep us from transforming. See, when we're in union with Christ, we're set free from man-made rules designed to promote spirituality. See, when we are buried with Christ and raised with Him in baptism, like we talked about last week, we're called to be different. We're, we're a brand new creation. We're called, called to grow spiritually, but we, don't, but we do that to have a, not, not to get a, a one up with God or to be on His good list. These, these spirits that Paul is talking about are trying to say, if you're not doing this stuff and you don't have these ex- external appearances of being good, then, then something's wrong with you. And man has always devised ways to try to look on the outside. And we look on the outside, and we look on the outside and say, if the outside looks good, then the inside must be okay. And Paul's blowing that up and said, that's all counterfeit. That's all counterfeit. Jesus, Jesus even addressed this. Because he knew that just modifying behavior will not transform us into the image of Jesus. Into the image of Jesus, he addressed this with the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the out. Man, Jesus just went after them. You're like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, self-denial as a, as a form of self-spirituality, it's all about appearance. It looks righteous, but it's really not. That passage always reminds me when I was a kid and my dad had white walls on their tires. Now, some of you kids are so young, you're like, I have no idea what that means. But my dad used to make us go out there and say, clean up the white walls. Oh, dad. And we'd get down and scrub, 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 toothbrush, toothbrush, Brillo pad, whatever it could, shine up those tires. Okay, now give the car a wax too, son, while you're, wax it all up. Car looks great. It may be terrible on the inside, can't go a mile down the road, but boy, the outside looked awful good. It's kind of what he's saying here. 
You can look really good on the outside. Look at me, I go to church. Look at me, I'm in a small group. Look at me, I tithe. Look at me, I serve. Look at me, I do this. Look at me, I, all kinds of stuff. We start filling them in. So our faith is about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about impressing other people because God knows the heart. And that was what they were trying to do. They were trying to think, they were being told, impress other people. Follow all these rules. Matthew 6 says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as a hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they'll ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, I'd add, if you have some, and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting, except your father who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. I read that passage, and it makes me think of what's going on right now as it's Easter season, or some people call this the season of Lent. And maybe some of you have participated in Lent. I don't participate in Lent, but maybe some of you have, and you said, you know what, I'm going to participate in Lent. And you know how many times I've seen things posted on Facebook about the Lent and what the people are participating in? I'm giving up TV, I'm giving up chocolate, I'm giving up food. I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. Your reward, you have received it already. Exactly what he's talking about. See, it's not about what's going on on the outside. It's about what's happening inside of here. And I have to be warned about this passage. In these passages, we had a discussion in our staff meeting this week because as a preacher, sometimes I can look and go, oh, are they in church? Oh, are they in a small group? Oh, are they faithfully serving? Oh, they must be good people because they're doing all that. Oh, no, we never see them. They don't show up, but, you know, just once in a blue moon. And you start making judgments on people's soul. And studying this text this week, God's like, Brian, I'm the judge. You just keep preaching and teaching. You just keep loving people. That's our job. That's your job. Your job is to keep preaching and teaching. We don't know why people do what they do and what they don't do. Don't understand all of it. It's impossible to understand. Sometimes we don't even know what we do and why we do what we do. So when we focus on trying to look good for others, we'll stop transforming into the image of Christ because we feel a false sense of security. So we do not think we need to grow in Christ because if we live to the standard we set for ourselves, then we would not need to grow anymore. Our growth would be complete. When we say, here's my standards, I understand. Even if you pull some of the standards out of the Bible and say, well, here's the standards. If you keep all the standards that you've created for yourself or that you understand, you say, I've reached all those standards, then you'll stop growing. But when your standard is my eyes say fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of my faith, and I keep looking at him, he'll keep drawing you to transformation and things to adjust and things to change. Why do you do what you do? See, our faith is not about legalism or subjective experience or seeking the daily spiritual adrenaline highs, nor is it about looking good on the outside. It's all about your relationship with Jesus. Why did you come here today? I would say to the band members, they're here today. Why do you play the keyboard? Why do you play the drums? Why do you come to practice on Thursday nights and then get here early on Sunday morning? Why are those of you who serve in the nursery, why are you back there in the nursery changing poopy diapers and taking care of the babies? Why are you caring for the toddlers who are learning how to sing and walk and talk? Why are you dealing with the elementary kids who are wild and crazy and want to throw balls and go nuts all over the place and you're trying to teach them a little bit of Bible truth while they're bouncing off the wall? Why are you dealing with junior hires who kind of stare at you like you're crazy? Why are you talking to high schoolers who think they know everything? Why are you spending that kind of time for the ministry? Why are you doing sound in the back? Why are you doing what you're doing? If it's not for Jesus, it's a waste of time. 
It, it flat out is. See, we get caught up into, I need to do this, I need to do that. If I do this, I do that. Then, okay, God, do you see what I'm doing? And Paul's saying, don't do it for those reasons. I was with my mentor, Bruce, on Friday night and took in a couple of the high school Sweet 16 basketball games downtown. and We watched a little bit of basketball and did a whole lot about sharing with life. And he was sharing with me a little bit of a challenge he has in one of the classes he teaches. Bruce is 71 years old, and he said, you know, years ago that would have really bothered me. Because I asked him, I said, man, how do you deal with that? Is that bothering you a lot? He said, no. He said, years ago it would have really bothered me. He said, Brian, one thing I've learned, though, anymore, he says, I don't teach because of the people that are there. I don't teach to have enough people in the classroom. I don't teach for that. I teach because Jesus has me teaching. He said, I teach because I love Jesus. It was a kind of a challenge. He wasn't really perfect. He's just sharing what he's walking through. But then I kind of dealing with this text. It's like, why do you preach, Brian? Why do you pastor, Brian? Why do you counsel, Brian? Why do you do what you do? It's got to be driven out of my love for Jesus. What about you? Why do you give to the soup kitchen? Why do you go help at the homeless shelter? Why do you care about a neighbor? Why do you take an extra time to have an extra long conversation in the late night hours helping somebody walk on their journey of life? Why do you do what you do? Don't let it be about outward appearances. In church, I'll warn you, the outward appearance sometimes is, look at my social media feed. I post all kinds of stuff about Jesus. See how nice I am? Sometimes it is, look at my t-shirt. It says, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? The bumper sticker that's on your car that says, follow me to church. Whatever it is, what's the outward appearance? Why do you do it? Paul would warn us on all that. He says, it's got to be about your relationship with Jesus. I do what I do because of my love of Jesus. See, when we focus on Jesus, life changes. When we focus on Jesus, we grow, and then others want to have what we have in Christ. They don't want our form of religion. They want to know, are you real about Jesus? They see that, they're going to desire to have what you have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love you and we honor you today. God, this passage speaks so clearly to our culture even today. Lord, it's so easy to get caught up in the rules that we follow. It's so easy, Lord, to get caught up in experiences that we have. And it's so easy to get caught up in the outward appearance of what we look like. And God, I'm so thankful that Paul just kind of blows all that to pieces. It's not about any of that. It's about who you are in Christ. And so God, help us right here in the quiet of this room just to do a little bit of a soul evaluating with you. We sung and prayed, Holy Spirit, you come. Lord, I want to ask your Holy Spirit right now to search our hearts and show us our, our faults. Show us where, we, where we're pursuing all this other stuff we're not pursuing you. God, are there rules we're trying to follow? Are there experiences that we're chasing after? Is there outward facades that we're putting on when inside our hearts are like whitewashed tombs? God, would you transform us and change us from the inside out from your, your spirit's power doing that kind of work by us walking with Jesus and that we get transformed day by day, by day. Father, we come to this time in our service where weekly we 
celebrate and partake in communion. We receive the emblems and partake a cracker and a juice. It reminds us, Lord, of your death, your burial, your resurrection, your bloodshed on the cross. I pray we don't partake lightly. But as we spend these moments, Lord, help us to spend some time just thinking, is our service, is our relationship all based in, in Jesus? Because, Lord, you came for us. You blew up the law. We celebrate that as we receive communion this morning. We say thank you that we're saved by grace, that we're free because the law was nailed to the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.